2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, we have uh, uh, Florian Siegfried with us and and Chen Lin. Uh, At the break, we were, Chen and and, um, Florian were chatting about some things and. Chen raised a question I'd like to get, uh, get Florian's take on. Chen, uh, talk to our listeners a little bit about the protests that are going on on Wall Street. And then you had a question for Florian.
4: Yeah, I see the, the, the occupying Wall Street, this protest, it's getting stronger and stronger every week, uh, getting more and more support. Mm-hmm. My question to Florian is, uh, do you see this type of protest in Europe?
5: Um well, there is some, uh, protest. It's still on a relative moderate basis, but, uh, we have had, uh, the, you know, the unrest in London, uh, two months ago. Then, uh, in Manchester we had a new wave against these austerity measures. Um uh, lately, uh, last week also in Portugal because the new government imposed quite tough, uh, quite a tough savings program. Uh, In Greece, it's a national national, uh, problem, I think. And among the rest of Europe, I think it's still very much a a local uh, movement. It's not coordinated. But um, as we have seen in the U.S. with the Tea Party movement, it could really spread into something more uh, dramatic if the
3: situation continues like it is right now. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me because what we could have here, it seems to me, is sort of an international rebellion against the bankers and against the bailouts. And, and you know, Florian, what you're saying, Europeans don't want to see their tax money taken to bail out other countries. In the U.S., uh, people are just mad as hell about, uh, without having a vote, seeing uh, future generations taxed and, and impoverished uh, by the bailouts of some rich bankers. I mean, people are really mad as hell now, aren't they?
5: Yeah, I think, but still, most people don't, uh, probably don't understand the mechanics of all these, uh, transfers and how it is played. So, uh, I think what is the reason for this, uh, you know, uh, unrest is really people, uh, feel the pressure because, I mean, wages haven't grown for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in real terms, they are down in Europe, they are down in the US uh life is not getting uh, cheaper everything is getting more expensive mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. uh, then you have uh, an industry an an, uh, an an industry which is just doing very good in difficult times and um uh, of course i think people are slowly getting aware that The bailouts did not prevent uh, anything. Uh, The money was not going uh, back into the ordinary economy, into the ordinary businesses. All it did, in my view, and that was clear, it went into more speculation. I think a major uh, uh, problem also with commodities was that the rising commodity prices were a new kind of uh, game where the bailout money was parked. And uh, that was a winning uh, winning play for many banks, and now this uh, is coming to an end. So I think also with any kind of next uh, QE3 or QE2 in the U.K., I really wonder what kind of asset class will be observed um, uh, to be the next winner.
3: <laughs> you know, that's a good question. Actually, Florian, I have a couple of questions for Chen. Chen, maybe you want to address that, what Florian just asked. I I think you're more bullish probably than Florian or I on the base metals and on energy. Is, uh, will they continue to benefit if we get a QE3 in the U.S. and a QE2 in England, Chen?
4: Oh, well, those are relatively hard to say, uh, because, you know, for example, base metal, it's very easy, uh, to uh, speculate. You know, you you can very easily put them into storage, right? So, uh, you know, I heard, you know, JP Morgan put like half of a world copper into their warehouse. (laughs) <laughs> and then they they are you know, they are supported by the U.S. government, so they can hold on to it for a pretty long time. So it's very hard um, for me. It's it's very hard to uh, to see you know where the base of direction is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, oil is relatively easier because it's hard to store the oil. <laughs> so I hope, and I've been saying pretty long time in my newsletter. I really hope oil price will come down. I think uh, you know probably seventy eighty dollars is uh, is more fair. You know, wow. uh, it, it encourages exploration. You know that, 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 and and you know, I, I think a consumer is not pinched too hard.
3: Yeah, I'm pinched very hard. We've been talking a lot about a lot of gloomy stuff, and and before we let Florian and Chen go, we want to hit on some more positive uh, ideas too, because there are some ways uh, to hedge yourself against the difficulties ahead. But uh, a question that Florian had for Chen actually. Uh, and Chen, I'll direct this. Uh, I'll send this to you directly. Will the Chinese, to what extent, will the Chinese come in and bail out Italy and other troubled countries in in
4: uh, Europe? Oh, I don't think China will just come in to bail out uh, you know European country. You know, the, the most likely country actually is Portugal. From all these, because Portugal relationship, you know, from Macau with China and so on. so uh-huh. on. But I don't, I don't see China want to do too much on that. I mean, I think China want to see uh, a successful Europe. Okay. China want to see Euro, Euro, the currency to stick together because China want a toner alternative to US dollar. That's mm-hmm. probably from there. But, you know, China more, their internal has a lot of problems. And uh, they, they, they want to keep their wheat powders on, on the dry side. You know, they, they, China, if China want to buy more like a resource, China want to buy, you know, <clears throat> uh, something more useful to China. And then China is fighting inflation problem, which is actually coming down. So there, there is uh you know, uh, there's a serious inflation in China, the labor shortage in China. There are, you know, uh, people getting into speculative. Like housing, like other things in China, they're trying to cool down the housing market. So bottom line is what I see is Chinese government, from their point of view, they more focus on internal problems. Uh, Europe, they want to see Europe to stick together. They want to see the good for European countries, but I don't think they will get out of their way really to help unless, you know, there's some, some, you know, good investment opportunity or something or some good collateral, like they put on some gold there. Maybe China was willing to to help.
3: Okay. uh, Chen and Florian, the United States was the engine of the world's economy, the growth engine of the world's economy, until the American consumer hit the brick wall with the housing crisis. That basically put an end. Uh, Do you see – this is a question for both of you, and I don't care who answers it first – can China pull – a very tepid growth, if any growth at all, in Europe and the U.S. Can China be the engine, the new engine uh, for growth in the world's economy? Chen, maybe you want to go first, and then Florian, like your your opinion.
4: No, I don't think China will be the you know will be the growth engine of the world. I mean, China probably won't know still will growing, will be growing, you know, but the China is slowing down, um, you know. I, and China, I don't think they want to put too much stimulus into the system as well, because last time they did a stimulus and they have a lot of bad debt right now. Yeah. So uh, if inflation cools down, which is coming down, I think China may be uh, more accommodative in December meeting. There's a meeting in, in Chinese government in December. They may be accommodative. They may be, they want to provide more loan to the small, small business, more small, medium-sized business. So that's probably what they want, want to do. But other than that, I don't think they, they will be, you know, China, or China want to be the, the engine of the war.
3: Okay. Uh, my engineer is telling me I only got a couple of minutes left and we haven't even begun to talk about gold. I'm going to switch. Uh, Florian, I want to ask you, uh, your fund is primarily in the metals and in the gold and, I suppose, to a certain extent, silver mining stocks. Is that right?
5: Yeah. I mean, mostly gold and some silver stocks.
3: Okay, talk to our listeners about your modus operandi for picking stocks. What kind of companies are you looking to invest in for your uh, for your investors? Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> for
5: the moment, I guess we should stick uh, mainly to producing, uh, you know, cash flow generating mm-hmm. mining companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we think mm-hmm. right now, I mean, the whole sector has been uh, almost in capitulation mode uh, today again. And uh, what we are trying to identify and which we find is the most attractive uh, area is when you have producers um, which are on um, for their operational uh, costs are very much depending on oil because oil is coming down a lot. And also if you have mines like in Australia or Canada where you have a very weak local currency against the U.S. dollar, they should really benefit from uh, those two uh, changes immediately. And, um, uh, of course, we like unhatched uh, producers, strong uh, cash flows. Um, uh, You always have to check about uh, how much cash they have in the bank because uh, when they uh, do the drilling right now, most of these companies spend a good portion of their cash flow for exploration, so we want to know what's left. Because getting back to the market at these levels to uh, make a financing, you can get into some nasty uh, dilutive events. Oh, so tell me about it. you really have to check on the balance sheet, uh, on the cash position, that there is uh, no major debt. Uh, and I think producers which have relatively high uh, production costs in terms of oil consumption, where you can see the margins will expand as the prices are coming down mm-hmm. in terms of size <clears throat> we see the sweet spot in the market i mean there are, there are a lot of producing mines between 100,000 200,000 ounces and um, uh, the merger uh, three weeks ago, the announced merger or takeover by our Rico of Northgate Minerals, will create another company in the range of six to 700,000 ounces. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at the consolidation or the potential consolidation, um, one should look into which companies would make a good fit, have producing mines, and come to, into this range of, let's say, five to 700,000 ounces, because these are really companies which have institutional quality. Mm. And when they can also pay dividend. Newmont announced a very nice dividend model based on the gold price. Um, I think with an eight, uh, 1,800 gold price, they are going to pay out like 5% dividend, and that is very good in this market. And I think other companies could try to copy those kind of models. But the valuations in the, in, the, in the small producers, the sector is currently trading at, the, I think, price cash flow of 5.5. That's according to CIBC. The seniors are also very cheap, about 8 to 9. But, I mean, the real value is in the small producers.
3: Yeah. Well, certainly, I think Chen would agree with that as well. And Chen is also one that is, is really a, a stickler for cash flow. Uh, I'd like to ask you before we say goodbye today, uh, Florian, do you have a, a favorite uh, in that sweet spot, a name or two that you would pass on to our, to our listeners?
5: Um, yeah, a company that we actually followed and also have uh, invested in is uh, it's, uh, Allied Gold. Uh, that's uh, ALD, I guess, in Toronto. It's very illiquid in uh, Toronto. Uh, the, the main uh, listing is in London. And um, what we like about uh, Allied, it's uh, a ramping-up story, so they're going to produce like 200,000 ounces by 2012. Uh, very well-funded, uh, <coughs> good shareholders, mainly institutions. And um, the stock has been depressed as of late because there were some management changes in the company and people were waiting on how it's going to pay out in the, uh, at the end. And the valuation, as we look at it uh, on a price cash flow basis for 2012, when the company reaches its target, uh, and they're, in my opinion, on a good way to do it, they're trading at like a price cash flow multiple of four, Mm. they have more than 10 years' mine life. Uh, Nevertheless, it's in a ramp-up situation, the company has still uh, negative earnings, um, but they are basically uh, a lot of costs are in Australian dollars. This is what I mentioned before, the mm-hmm. $80 million in cash. So I think on a weakness, companies like that, uh, I would watch it. Or we had Oceana Gold in the office uh, last week, a similar situation. Um, I think that is the sweet spot of the market.
3: Did you say Oceana Gold, Florian?
5: Yeah, Oceana Gold. think think is favorite of yours ocean, still, isn't it, uh, Newsletter.
3: Yeah. Ken, yes, Ken yeah, is it not Oceana still a too. favorite
4: of yours, Oceana? Yes, yes, it's, it's my largest mining position.
3: Okay, very good. Unfortunately, you know, there's so much more we would love to talk to both of you about. We're out of time, uh, so we're gonna have to have, Florian will have to have you back sometime soon. Maybe you and I will do a, a joint, uh, program in, from Asia or something, who knows. But in any event, thanks both of you for coming on and sharing your insights with our listeners. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Barry Downs. He's a newcomer to our show, but somebody I've known for many years. Barry uh, has a very interesting perspective on the market, certainly a deflationary perspective. We're going to be right back with Barry Downs. Don't go away.
0: Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper-gold-rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million-plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district.
6: www.rypatchgold.com
0: Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business
1: Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down
2: Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I've just been informed uh, by my partner here in New York that I failed to mention our sponsors for the second hour. And because uh, these folks are uh, very important to us, they make this show uh, economically viable, I do want to name them for the second hour. Uh, they are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources. That's a new sponsor. Actually, a new, new one a week or two ago. They're a coal, uh, company in Mongolia. And RX Gold Inc. and Legend Gold Corp. Well, it's really a pleasure for me to, uh, to bring to your attention Barry Downs. He's a friend of mine from many years ago, uh, when he lived in the east side, the east part of the, of the U.S. He's still my friend even though he moved away to Nevada. I haven't seen that much of him uh, in recent years. But Barry Downs uh, is the son-in-law of the late great economist John Exter. Very few people know John Exter. I think he's one of uh, probably uh, the most underappreciated uh, economists and thinkers. He was a, an intellect. He is, unfortunately, no longer with us. Um, but Exter was a personal friend of the great economist Ludwig von Mises, according to uh, what Barry has told me in the past, and, and he was very much an Austrian economist, but he did have a different view in terms of the big inflation-deflation question. Uh, and so I want to get into that with Barry. Barry, welcome uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks, Jay. It's, it's really good to have you. Um, it, it would be nicer if you lived in this part of the country. Uh, I'm sure I'd see you more often uh... but you uh... you had the good fortunes of of marrying many years ago john Exter's daughter and with that came a lot of your you know that your uh, approach to investing uh... tell our listeners a little bit about john Exter. where was he from
7: and where did he go to college what did he do in his professional
3: uh... life etc
7: okay well i married uh, john Exter's daughter in nineteen sixty five and I got a job at Bank in New York on Wall Street as a as a trainee in nineteen sixty seven. Uh we we moved to uh to the New York metropolitan area and I started to uh, commute with my father in law. He was a a uh a banker at uh, Citibank on Wall Street or actually on uh, Park Avenue and so I got to know him quite well and he gave me a uh a copy of uh, Timothy Green's uh, *A World of Gold* as one of the one of the first introductions to gold that I had, and I read it at, at his suggestion. And he started to explain to me uh, that the Keynesian economics that I had been taught—I was an economics major and a history minor—was was rubbish, and that I ought to start looking at uh, more classical economics and look at. Uh, at the works of von Mises and von Hayek and and the Austrian school so Mm -hmm. I did and um, in about uh, John Extra went to the College of Worcester in Ohio Mm -hmm. and then he got his uh, masters at at uh, Tufts School of Law and Diplomacy Mm -hmm. and then ended up teaching at Harvard teaching Keynesian economics at at Harvard and he grew uh, very disenchanted with, with the whole Keynesian, uh, philosophy and, and, uh, uh, left, became, uh, a, a central banker, um, uh, set up the Central Bank of Ceylon and the Central Bank of the Philippines after World War II. And then he was made in charge of gold and silver operations at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And he told me that, uh, he remembered paying out all of the gold to, uh, to the French uh during the 50s and it just it just tore him apart because he uh saw that the United States should 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 be maintaining uh, all of its gold holding and not letting go an ounce anyways he uh he then left the Federal Reserve and he became a uh a commercial banker at Citibank and because of his uh widespread contacts in in the world of central banking they they uh had him go around the world, and he, he was in charge of uh, government and central bank relationships. So he knew all the central bankers, all the finance ministers and prime ministers of the various countries around. And he decided uh, in 1971, after Nixon closed the gold window and, and we officially uh, left gold, uh, that he was going to take an early retirement. He saw this as the beginning of the end for for the uh... uh, the entire title entire global economy Mm -hmm. Uh, he became a gold bug basically back in the fifties when he he was working at the federal reserve bank of new york in charge of gold and silver operations Mm -hmm. and in nineteen seventy one after he left Citibank, he came up with a model to describe the system and he saw the entire american system as well as the entire Global financial system as one big debt pyramid, and mm-hmm. he he turned the pyramid upside down, and 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 he had all of the assets, uh, the most risky assets at the at the broad top of the pyramid, mm-hmm. and the less risky assets towards the bottom of the pyramid, and in, in in our case that would be treasury bills and and cash, mm-hmm. and then outside of the pyramid he had. Uh, the world's known block of gold.
8: Mm-hmm. And
7: right now, it's like 165 metric tons, mm-hmm. all the gold that's been found in mines since the beginning of time. And he had this upside-down debt pyramid uh, uh, just balancing on that block of gold. And he didn't have gold in the pyramid because uh, because all the other assets in the pyramid had liabilities against them, and that oh. block of gold has, has no liabilities against
8: mm-hmm. it.
7: And he... I uh, walked with him and commuted with him, and he was always telling me, watch that debt pyramid. Mm-hmm. Um, that debt pyramid needs to be growing constantly, and if it ever stops growing, uh, there will be big trouble. If it ever stops growing and, and shrinks, there will be huge trouble, and it will set the stage for a deflationary depression. Well, John has been uh, deceased since, 19, since uh, 2006.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: Back three years ago, uh, U.S. total debt, which is all of the all of the debt in the United States, public and private, uh, that that U.S. total debt topped out at 57 trillion dollars. It's been shrinking since. It's now 54.66 uh, trillion, and it's it's dropping at the rate of of about I think it's like. Uh, about 10 billion a week
8: uh, mm-hmm.
7: a week, and um, uh total personal debt has been dropping mortgage debt is dropping and uh, according to john's scenario which i think is spot on um uh, once this starts to occur the federal reserve ends up pushing on a string mm-hmm. uh, getting the reserves available lenders are not interested in in, in lending and borrowers are not interested in borrowing and he said this will, will be the, the whole key to, uh, to entering into this period of a deflationary depression. And
8: right.
7: three years ago, it, it topped out, it turned down. The interesting thing is that these debt pyramids in all other, other countries uh, are, are contracting. Yeah. Uh, while public debt is increasing, private debt is decreasing.
8: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
7: And so this, this is the handwriting on the wall. Um, and and according to uh John Extra's scenario, uh this precludes whatever Fed stimulus they can come up with. They can have QE three or QE ten and, and the Fed will still be pushing on a string and and uh, uh we, we will eventually uh, uh slip into a deflationary depression, the Fed will, will be overwhelmed and and uh then the final cleansing process of the whole global economy will will uh, will actually get underway. Yeah,
3: it certainly is along the lines of, uh, of Robert Prechter's view of the world. Uh, Ian Gordon, a lesser known person, but he's been on this show. Barry, your thoughts, of course, and uh, you know I, this is not new. Having spoken with you over the years, yeah. uh, other people that have studied under John Exter have really uh, have, have really identified with this, and it seems to be unfolding to a great extent, very yeah. much along the lines of John Exter.
7: John's feeling was that they will run down the the, uh, pyramid. And, of course, that that upside-down debt pyramid, Jay, uh, contains a lot more of of these bizarre investments than than existed when John first came up in in, in, in 1971, all the derivatives and everything. So he said his feeling was they will run down that debt pyramid, they'll get out of the pyramid, they will go into gold, and 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 he said, of course, there is just uh, so little gold in the world. I mean, right now, that's, it's like 5.3 billion ounces. That's it. All the yeah. gold has been found in mines since the beginning of time. So his forecast was that when this started, gold would go to undreamed-of levels.
3: Well, we're seeing it starting to happen. My feeling is that it's in the early stages yet still. Uh, Barry, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, we'll have to have you back again. We'll reminisce some more about John Exter and talk in more detail about this, uh, about this deflationary scenario if you're willing to come back.
7: Well, it was a pleasure, Jay.
3: It was great talking to you again. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Scott Waldy. He's the president and CEO of Legend Gold Corp. This looks to me like another extraordinarily undervalued junior gold company, so you don't want to miss what Scott Walde has to say. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www www. www.legendgold.com Northwest Quebec is one of the world's friendliest and most prolific areas for mining and exploration. One of the rising stars in this incredible region is Visible Gold Mines. From the exciting Wasamac area to Jutel, Visible Gold Mines is drilling nonstop in pursuit of the next important gold discovery in Northwest Quebec. Visible Gold Mines has the focus, experience, commitment, and resources necessary to rapidly emerge as a leader in the vibrant Quebec gold sector. Check out VisibleGoldMines.com, VGD, on the TSX van Venture Exchange.
6: www.ripatchgold.com.
0: Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
1: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, Scott Walde. He's the president and CEO of Legend Gold Corp. Well, as with the previous sponsor that we interviewed earlier, uh, in today's show, Legend Gold is exploring and developing gold, a, a gold project or two in Mali, uh, West Africa. Uh, the company trades on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, Toronto Exchange under the symbol LGN and you can buy the stock in the United States under the symbol NOATF. There are 65.4 million shares outstanding. Uh, if I'm up to date on that, the share price is incredibly low. Uh, the last I looked at was the 24 cents, uh, giving it a market cap of about 157 Million dollars. Welcome, Scott, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
9: Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me back again.
3: Really good to have you back. Uh, What about the share price? Uh, Did it get knocked down a bit beyond the twenty-four cent level today?
9: Uh, No, it's trading at about twenty-seven and a half cents. The last I looked.
3: Oh, okay. All right. Good. Uh, That's good. But it's a minuscule market cap, really. It's yep. We're looking at. uh, you know, a sixty-five is that the share number about right? Sixty-five and a half million, more That's or less. That's
9: about right. I'm just looking at sixty-five point four.
3: Right. Excellent. Okay. So we're a micro cap, micro micro cap company. You do have, uh, definitely do have, uh, some gold in the ground already. Your flagship property is the FT property, I believe, in Mali. Uh, for the benefit for the benefit of listeners who may not have heard your story before. Talk to us about what is your resource, how much gold do you have there, what's the potential for outlining more, and how much more?
9: Well, the the analog mine was the Marilla Mine, Jay, which uh, they produced about 8.5 million ounces of gold at, at head grades um, in the early years of around uh, 11 grams uh, a ton. Mm. And they mined historically. It was one of the most profitable gold mines in the world. Um so that's the geologically and, and structurally, that's the analog for the position of our Chikamala project. What we have there now is about six hundred thousand ounces of gram-level material.
8: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, it's a very large property. It's, it's over two hundred square kilometers. The deposit uh, in the forty-three one hundred one report occupies about two and a half uh, kilometers of strike length. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the challenges for us at Chikamala is that everywhere we explore, we find golden bedrock. <laughs> um, it's, it's a funny problem to have, but, but, it, but we're starting to think that the Chikamala horizon, where the deposit is located, is, over, is possibly over 10 kilometers long. Good Lord. And we also, 14 kilometers south of there, on the same property, we have a, a new, what we call the south zone, uh, which is now over three kilometers long. So our challenge in this big property is is to find the sweet spot that will give us a quick payback on on the larger, you know, on a smaller tonnage but a higher grade portion of the deposit to capture all the rest of this large uh, structural um, gold anomalous uh, material. Hmm. Um, and well, it's it's been a challenge, no doubt about it. As I say, it's a big property. It's structurally and geologically complex, um, and and whenever we try and, and drill a condemnation hole, we keep finding more gold.
3: Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's a mixed blessing in a way, isn't it? Because it, it is. It costs lots of money to drill. Is your target very close to surface, though?
9: It is a surface uh, expression deposit. It, w- it starts uh, just below the soil horizon, about 10 or 15 meters, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and these things have roots. They continue on to depth. We have a couple of deep holes, uh, but our tonnage calculation is just down to 150 me- meters. But uh, uh, but the roots are still there.
3: Well, I was uh, you were saying the analog was a 11 gram per ton deposit. I guess they must have mined that. Um, not with a bulk tonnage type of situation, but they was it un, an underground mine or just a high grade?
9: No, it was a, it was a large high grade uh, deposit. It was flat line. It was in a very similar environment to our discovery, mm-hmm. um, and it, it it had a vertical surface expression. And they found that 75 meters underground, it became flat lying, uh, sort of dish uh, oval shaped, if you will. Um, they had to take off the surface 75 meters, and then they started mining the the high-grade uh, core of the of the deposit and mined out towards the extremities, and that really was the deposit that that was the the makings of Rand Gold, and that launched them on their very successful exploration uh, um, and development program in in Mali that continues today.
3: So I guess that's what you'd like to find is a sweet spot. You'd like to find a, a high grade part of this that could get you a quick payback, and then and then develop it and and grow it into something bigger potentially.
9: Well, we certainly would, and we'll we'll continue our drilling programs there on an annual basis and and keep moving that project along. And and we've got Lenkafla as well, and and uh, now we're bringing the Menina project in, so. When I look at the company uh, i I stated it in one of the, our more recent press releases that that uh, I stated it rather boldly. I thought we have the best exploration properties in West Africa. Uh, a couple of people have called me on that, but but <laughs> i think um, I think there's a case to be made there well, I
3: just look at your market cap and I wonder why what about your what about your drilling program this year and how how much drilling are you doing and how soon might that translate into a new forty three one oh one
9: well i, I think um, you know I think the the Chicamala project continued to return sort of low to to, to mid grade results and and the market wasn't overly thrilled with what we had at Chicamala and then at at, at La Campela we've returned some some uh, some very good results, nine grams over two meters and thirty grams over uh, uh, oh, uh, sorry, I'll just, nine grams over seven meters,
8: uh-huh.
9: and, uh, two and a half grams over five meters, uh-huh. seven meters at nine and a half grams, two meters at 32 grams, that kind of thing. So we, sure. that's our zone one at Lecampla, and we, we did a fairly broad searching, um, exploration program there to test a number of anomalies, and we've come up with, uh, with three distinct zones, and our Zone 2 is over two kilometers long now. Mm. Zone 1 will be targeted, uh, those high-grade chutes will be targeted with a drilling program commencing uh, hopefully in late November. Um, We've got a new discovery up at what we now call Zone 4 with surface expressions uh, up to an ounce per ton of gold. Mm. Um so I you know this is adjacent immediately adjacent to a, a large producing a large producing Saudi gold mine sure so I think there's a tremendous potential in the ground there that the market is just um just not giving us any credit for on the other hand um I don't think it it takes very much buying I think we've got patient shareholders and and uh, I don't think it takes much buying to, to get the stock back up again.
3: Well, let's talk about it. You have 65.4 million shares outstanding. Uh, what sort of a float do you have in the stock? That is, Is a lot of that tightly held?
9: It, it's almost all tightly held. We have uh, very sophisticated shareholders who are accustomed to, uh, to taking these kinds of, of shots on, on well-positioned companies. They understand that what they're really looking at is, is a real estate game where you gather up this relatively inexpensive but very well-positioned ground mass in, in areas that that are, are proven to host big gold deposits, and then you start to work away on them. And everybody realizes it's not uh, it's not sort of cookie-cutter science. You you have to feel your way around on these things until you start to get into the meat of, of your deposit, and I think that's what we're ready to do at La Campela now.
3: You're management mandate is to do what? Explore and build a deposit and and sell it off to a major? Or are you equipped to go forward yourself?
9: We're not equipped. We'd have to build the wheel to go forward ourselves. Yeah. Um, we would like to take these things to the point where we feel that um, that we're getting fair value for them. And uh, until then, we will continue with sole risk expiration. Having said that, I come from a mining background myself as an mm-hmm. explosives engineer and a production engineer in Canadian mines, both open pit and underground. So I'm not uh, I'm not uh, I'm not overwhelmed by the challenge of creating a, a, a mine myself.
3: Yeah, and you obviously have to uh, to get the personnel to do that and, and to move it forward. These are very you know, I think people that aren't used to the mining industry think of it as digging a hole in the ground and pulling out metals. It's it's a, an awful lot of science, an awful lot of um, you know, a, 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 sure. a, a lot of chemistry, a lot of uh, uh, engineering goes into building a mine. So it's it's obviously something that you know most juniors. I think you build the most wealth by probably finding the gold and and a big deposit of a multi-million. You have. Tremendous exploration potential here, from what I see. What do you have? Uh, uh, how well are you funded at this point in time to uh, to continue going on with your exploration program?
9: Well, we've got uh, just under two million dollars in the kitty at the present time.
8: Mm-hmm.
9: Uh, we're planning a modest uh, drill program to begin in in the late fall, and we'll just move the properties forward and and uh, and, and cross the the next financing bridge when it when it comes. Uh, In 2012, we're not, as I say, in immediate hurry to do anything uh, dramatic. And as I mentioned before, we're we're well supported by our shareholders. It's a little bit of a funny time in the market at the at the present moment.
3: Oh, for uh, sure. Uh, All I can say is we're looking at a market cap of maybe what 17, 18 million dollars, 600 million, or excuse me, 600,000 ounces or so on the ground with enormous exploration. What would you say? <clears throat> on your flagship property, what would you say the percentage of target area that's been drilled so far?
9: Oh, uh, we've we've barely scratched the surface at Lacanfla. Yeah, uh, with four very distinct zones, we can we can almost draw a, 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 a back of the envelope inferred resource at Zone Two, and and we'd like to be able to be in that position in, at Zone One by mid January. Um, at at there's uh, there's tremendous amount of room for drilling in there yet. hmm and,
3: and and when do you expect to have uh, an updated 43101?
9: We're 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 just not moving towards that um, at the present time. Mm-hmm. We would be looking at starting a drill program mid 2012 that would give us a 43101 update on Zone One at La Campla by. Um, mid mid to late two thousand and twelve
3: mm-hmm. all right. well, it seems to me that this is really one I need to take another look at and probably update my subscribers on because it's uh, um it's just it's just to me these are the kinds of companies with success that can literally turn investments um, you know from you, can, you know these are ten bagger potential companies folks, and uh, I'm not promising you anything, neither. Uh, neither is Scott for sure uh, this is a risky business but when you hit it can be extraordinarily rewarding uh, any last word you'd like to anything else you think our listeners should hear before we conclude our discussion today
9: well I think I'd like to say if, if uh, investors can can look at our website too but the the menina project uh, that we've brought into the company we we expect to close on that here very shortly I think that's worth a look at that's another very close uh, proximal a gold discovery to a big producing gold mine. Um, couple that with a very experienced uh, operating crew in the Republic of Mali, all all Malian nationals who are accustomed to exploring, and have had their cut their eye teeth on some major successes in that country as well.
3: Very good. Thank you very much, Scott, for being with us uh, again.
9: It is an exciting story.
3: Um, thank you for sharing it with our listeners. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back to wrap up today's show. I uh, have Ted Ohashi uh, joining me uh, in on the other side of the break, so don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Northwest Quebec is one of the world's friendliest and most prolific areas for mining and exploration. One of the rising stars in this incredible region is Visible Gold Mines. From the exciting Wasamack area to Jutel, Visible Gold Mines is drilling nonstop in pursuit of the next important gold discovery in Northwest Quebec. Visible Gold Mines has the focus, experience, commitment, and resources necessary to rapidly emerge as a leader in the vibrant Quebec gold sector. Check out com VGD, on the TSX Venture Exchange.
6: www.rypatchgold.com Welcome to the human
1: race Some kind of lovely ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard It's just a lovely ride
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and the Good Times. As so often happens, uh, we spend too much time talking to our guests, and we have almost no time left for the wrap. I have Ted Ohashi with me. Ted, uh, get into a favorite silver company that you're following. Talk to our listeners about that.
1: Sure. Um, that would be Avino Silver and Gold. Uh, it's a company that I've talked about on your show in the past. Um, they're a, a Toronto Venture Exchange-listed company, ASM uh and now they're also listed on the AMEX uh so for your uh US uh, listeners uh, uh you've got that uh the company um has about a 45 million dollar market cap uh at, at current prices um they're active in uh, in Mexico in the uh Durango province um they're uh, reopening uh, a mine uh that had been in operation for many years um and uh... and in addition to that they're uh... uh... doing some uh... exploration work uh... basically to see whether uh... uh... the one of their main veins uh... continues at depth Um the stock is down as many stocks are uh... but it's still in the dollar seventy range and trading actively Um and and it's companies like this uh... and and the others that you were mentioning uh... on your show today jay that. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, when the turn comes, uh, that, uh, that they will do very, very well.
3: Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. <clears throat> Ted, we've got just a minute left and I'm having a heck of a time with a cold here, but, uh, I think you're absolutely right and, and we might just tell our listeners that they can go to investmentpitch.com. Yep. Uh, you'll have some of your own ideas, uh, the, the uh, clients of investment pitch that are there a lot of information uh, available at investmentpitch.com. Yeah, and, wanna...
1: and they'll see videos uh, on Avino and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and several other companies
3: like that. Very good. Well, thank you, Ted. I'm sorry we don't have more time. That's okay, uh, We We really are <clears throat> out of time, and I'm almost out of voice, unfortunately. Um, folks, I want to just tell you, next week we've got coming up um, Ian MacAvity. He's the author of Ian MacAvity's Deliberations. Uh, in my mind, there are a few market analysts out there better than Ian when it comes to seeing the big picture, so you won't want to miss Ian McAvity. In closing, I want to thank the staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacy Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer. Those folks make this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America business channel. So until next week, that's all. Goodbye, and God's
8: blessings to you.